Hello, boys and ghouls, and welcome to a side-splitting episode all about horror comedies. <laughs> Laugh along as we take a look at the spoofs, satires, and yuckfests that use monsters and mayhem to tickle your funny bone. So, have a seat, enjoy a cigar, and put her there, pal, as we present episode 38 of Boys and Ghouls. You want to see something really scary? They come from the bowels of hell, a transformed race of walking dead. Zombies, exploding heads. Psychos, fanatics, murderers, nutcases. Now, do we all agree that what we are dealing with is vampires? I know that one of you is a werewolf. Be nothing but dead folks. I want to kill the undead. So you ever so talk to a corpse? Satan is our pal. It's boring. Throw the third switch! Look! The third switch! Give my creation! This was a like a Bruce Lee parody from like like 1982, and something would happen, and the room would just be baffled. And as old man Marshall, I'd go like, press pause. <clears throat> okay, in the 80s, there was a brand of malt liquor. Oh my god! That in the commercials, if you ordered it, a bull would charge through the window. So he just ordered sake. So now a dragon's coming through the window, and that's the joke. And they go. Okay, yeah. press play. Okay. Hey, Kat. Hey, Marshall. So what gab do you have? Oh, I've got all the gab. Uh, and it's really good, too, which and is... For first-time listeners, our spooky gab. <laughs> yeah. Where we discuss things in our life that are at least peripheral to horror. Yeah. But not the topic of this actual podcast. Yeah. So I realized uh, a dream of mine a couple of weeks ago when I got to go see a double feature of Scream 1 and 2 at the New Beverly. Nice. I had never seen either movie on the big screen. And in fact, you know, when I was thinking about it, there really are a lot of my favorite films that I've never seen on the big screen. And really for lack of trying, because I just haven't sought it out. I saw Halloween 2 on the big screen. I saw... I saw Halloween 1 on the big screen. Well, I saw Halloween, the original at the cemetery on Halloween night a few years back. And I saw Hocus Pocus a Halloween or two ago uh, at the Vista, and it was the most incredible. It's interesting, though, because the Hocus Pocus screening that I went to with my friends, it was a barrel of laughs. They had two women dressed up as Winifred and Sarah Sanderson. They were, like, roaming the aisles periodically throughout the movie, walking just like the witches do in the movie, and... It was really kind of raucous, and people were screaming out loud and laughing really loudly. And, you know, you can't plan for a screening like that. Anytime you see a movie or go to a piece of theater, it's completely, your experience is completely dependent upon the audience. My point is, I went into this Scream 1 and 2 screening expecting, number one, everyone who was there to have seen both movies a million times, and therefore to be there to have a good time and sort of really experience it with a group of like-minded people. However, we had a guy in front of us who was not having any amount of fun. He was not, when I say not have, well, yes, he wasn't having fun, but he was also not tolerating 
any ejaculations from the mouth of like, ha ha. He was turning around. He got up at one point and told us to be quiet. It was not pretty. Do you think he's like one of the guys that are just there every night for like whatever they're showing? Maybe. It wasn't there for the hoot that Scream 1 and 2 could be? Maybe. I'm not defending talking during a movie, but that's not what we were doing. That's not what was happening. You know, it was us experiencing the movie, trying to have that audience experience that I just really wanted to have. And you can't force that on other people. But his, the experience he wanted to have was dead silence, apparently. And there were a couple moments in the movie when someone else in the audience, like far away, would kind of give a woo or something when something was great or a funny line. And people sort of responded and laughed and, you know, everyone kind of got into it. But it just didn't consistently happen. And Mr. Straight Lace Pants was too close to us for us to kind of... It was still wonderful, but I expected it to kind of be like the opening scene of Scream 2. <laughs> yeah, that, that's ideal. That's what I was wanting, and that's, that was my dream, and I know it. I think I in order been. to have evenings like that, you need, like, an MC and maybe, like, a costume contest or a trivia in the beginning or something like that to really get the audience all on the same page. That's how my Halloween It's, it's a difference between was. a screening and an event. My Halloween 2 screening, Rick Rosenthal was there to answer questions. He directed the movie. But before the movie, it was a midnight show. The movie, I don't even think, started until 1.30 because they they did trivia beforehand. And I won a DVD of complete series of the show Dead Like Me, which I still haven't watched, for singing the song that the paramedic, the one who takes the girl to the jacuzzi, earlier in the movie he sings a really crass song, a filthy sexual song. And I sang, he asked what, the song, if Kenny Newman sang the song, and I stood up and sang the song. You got a box set. Part of a lot of people and got some DVDs. It was still a total dream to see it up there on the big screen, both movies. So, dream fulfilled. Uh, you had invited me to the Scream screenings. Yeah. But I was otherwise engaged that evening at a Back to the Future themed birthday housewarming party. I saw your pictures. Two people had hoverboards. That's cool. Were they and hovering? I was holding one, okay. so it was off the ground that way. Uh-huh. And I didn't dress up in a costume. Like, there were a couple of iterations of Michael J. Fox. One guy came as a 1985 Biff with, like, the sideburns. Yes. That's beautiful. But I did just grab a pair of red and blue 3D glasses and win as 3D. Yep. One of the non-Billy Zane henchmen <laughs> in Biff's gang. I remember that guy. And people are like, where did he even get them? Like, they're such a rare thing. Because they were the blue on one side, red on the other. Yeah. Not the fancy modern day 3D, but the... Uh... No, I think the red and blue aren't dead. They're you know not I mean? dead, but most 3D glasses these days, even the ones for at home, don't look like that anymore. Really? You know where I think I got it from? Uh, when I opened up the storage unit and found all those old magazines, there was that one Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition <laughs> with like the 3D bikini. Oh boy. Yeah, I think it came from that. Naturally. Yes. Hey, Kat. Yeah, Marshall. What did the ghost say to the Invisible Man? I don't know. What? Long time, no see. Well, folks, here's what you all been waiting for. Knock, knock. Who's there? Ivana. Ivana who? Ivana suck your blood. <laughs> say, Kat, what happens when a ghost haunts a theater? The actors get stage fright, of course. I thought that was funny, but I laugh at everything. Did you hear about the zombie that lost his left leg and his left arm? 
No, is he okay? Yeah, he's all right now. All right, Kat. Yeah. Are you ready to laugh? I think I am. I really need it. Okay, good. Let's dive in. This topic was your decision Mm -hmm. because our last few topics have been pretty grim. Yeah. Going back, there were the Saul films. Not a ton of laughs. And before that was Insanity. And before that was Lovecraft. And before that was Silence of the Lambs. Wow. Not a real yuck fest. I didn't even think back that far. I was just and even before that was saw. the thing movies. Yeah, that's all pretty dark. Which can get kind of grim. Yeah, really, we've been grim. We have one big dark room. Most of what I watched was just straightforward comedies with horror elements. Okay. Because the horror movies with comedic elements, I'm sure I'm going to cover if I haven't already in another episode. It's what I'm kind of drawn to anyways. Yes. Also, most horror movies, except for the really grim ones, have lots of laughter in it. Mm -hmm. Because you need it to relieve the tension. You can't just have scare, 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 scare credits. You need to bring them down. Uh Set them back up. Mm -hmm. Knock them down. Give them a laugh. Let them take their mind off it. Scare them again. Right. I'm not saying anything new here, but I am saying that there's probably a lot of what people would think are obvious horror comedies. That I'm still just going to keep in the horror category because humor is a necessity for their horror. I see that. And I think I think it's important just to point out that the kinds of movies I watched anyway are kind of fall into two categories. Horror dominant or comedy dominant. Some of which get to the point, and I, and I don't hate scary movie. We can talk about that movie. I, I, I think it's fun, but it's just like 95% comedy, 5% spooky to me well, and so for me that i don't even count that as a horror comedy i just can't what about a comedy horror yeah sure but it's primarily comedy you know sure well i mean i think of young frankenstein the same way i the, just the... don't though because it embraces no, no because well, okay there's I... like really like kind of fun gallows humor in it that i don't i, I think i know hard to explain i think i know how to explain it good this Please isn't do. this isn't my concept but it's one that i've certainly grown closer to over the last couple of weeks as I've been watching these films. Throw me with your acumen. The makers of Scary Movie, for example, versus Young Frankenstein, for example, they didn't have the adoration for the subject material. That's it. The Wayans Brothers, they're great comics and they're great comedians. So individual jokes would land, but the ones most directly dealing with the subject matter never quite found its way home like it would in something where the filmmakers are spoofing it or parodying it or satirizing it or using it just as a background for their satire right who loved or at least had a great fondness for the original subject material yeah which would be like the old universal movies yep now some of that's just timing the scream films were only like two years old at the time you can respect them and you can enjoy them But they didn't grow up with them like, let's say, Mel Brooks did or the Gene Wilder did with the Universal Horror Films. Yeah. That when it came time, they were, like, excited to be doing it. Like, oh, man, can you believe it? It's just like Frankenstein. Whereas in the Scary Movie series and similar films, I mostly found this to be true. I was watching Vampires Suck, which was a a send-up of the Twilight films. Mm -hmm. 
And the makers of Vampire Suck, I'm sure, have no particular adoration for the Twilight films. Right. They found them to be totally ripe to be made fun of, and they are. Yeah. But because it didn't come from a place of uh, fondness, I guess, for what they were doing, just out of like, let's make fun of this garbage that they're selling to tweens. It didn't come through as really being particularly good at all. Now, give it 20 years. 20 years from now, some present-day tween, or it's even been a few years since, so maybe they're just going into film school now, <laughs> is going to make a great, fun, biting, ha movie that really lampoons that whole genre. Sure. Because they've had the, the benefit of distance and the benefit of personal love for what it is that they're taking on. It's coming from the deep, dark recesses of the mind of Mel Brooks. I love him. Young Frankenstein. So I watched Young Frankenstein, which I've seen once or twice before, but it was a total joy revisiting it. And I realized that I'm completely, I marvel at Gene Wilder through the whole movie. He's so good. Yeah. He's incomprehensibly good. This is his favorite movie role he ever played. I don't I doubt it. I can see why. He also wrote it. Yes. Frankenstein. You're putting me on. No, it's pronounced Frankenstein. You must be Igor. No, it's pronounced Igor. I like to watch the movie, like you know, every October. And then when it's all done... I'm like, I want more. So I always wind up just turning on the commentary immediately after. Because that's my only way to get more. Another way to get more would be to watch Haunted Honeymoon, which Gene Wilder went on to write. That was his follow-up. Or Dracula Dead and Loving It, which was, you could say, Mel Brooks's follow-up. Mm -hmm. But sticking with uh, Young Frankenstein and Mel Brooks, comedies of the day, which got almost exclusively theatrical runs, and then you know down the road it would wind up on television, but not for a while would leave sort of pauses for laughter. And so you go back and watch an old I comedy. I noticed that watching it by myself a couple times. Yeah. yeah. It was a weird movie to watch by myself. The pauses for laughter are there, but they're not as bad as in some later Mel Brooks films because the characters are so interesting to look at that even when they're kind of doing nothing and the editing is waiting for the uproarious theater audience to settle down for a second so they can move on to the next joke. Meanwhile, you're seeing it at home going, why is this so uh -huh. slow? Right. It's because there's no theater audience there laughing with you. You're right, though. It is such a beautiful movie. Like, every shot is kind of a picture. Yeah. So you, well, you are kind of fascinated by it. Yeah, and this one, Gene Wilder just doesn't stop. No. Marty Feldman. Oh, so good. For those of you who don't know, he was Igor with the bug eyes. Yeah. He's always up to something. Madeline Kahn. Oh. Chorus Leachman. I mean, now I'm just naming cast. And Terry Garr, even if just standing still and being beautiful, is all she did, which is not all she did. It's not at all. She's a genius. It really made those pauses for laughter inherent in the editing. It doesn't age the film. Right. And it doesn't detract it from its home viewing as it can do with other films, much to young Frankenstein's advantage. Mm -hmm. Oh, and who am I thinking? Peter Boyle. I am the monster! Who you don't even think about, I don't even think about, because he's the monster. To me. But if you're watching you, you it, know, really when it's that attention. good of a performance, you don't yeah. even give the actor credit. No. You just say, well, that's the monster. Right. Which is the impressiveness of it right there. Is yeah. that you just do see him as the monster. And he's entirely sympathetic. And 
It's a funny movie and... And it's played straight. Yeah. Sort of. I mean... Oh, okay. Not completely straight. There is fourth wall breaking and there is just straight out jokes. But those are, I would say, exclusively done by Marty Feldman as Igor. <laughs> In some comedies and in this one, the really outrageous character, he can look at the camera. He can look at the audience. He can sort of elevate himself above everything that's happening and just pull off jokes outside the reality of the film. And it's all okay. You know, the music of this. <gasps> Beautiful music. And worthy of an actual universal horror film. If you've never seen Young Frankenstein, it's a great homage and love letter to all the Frankenstein films and the universal horror films. And it was shot in black and white. It was made in what year? 74. 74. Which even though that is yesteryear by now, it was still a great risk to try to release a film in black and white. A lot of theaters don't even show black and white movies anymore. They don't have the right projectors. All the projectors are in color. Coming away from it, what's the funniest part of Young Frankenstein for you? The f oh, that's tough. What's the funniest part? You can switch it up for this favorite. Okay, I can do favorite. Okay. Um, the, the part that really stuck out for me watching it this time was the moment in the classroom at the beginning when he stabs himself with a scalpel in indignation. He's, he doesn't mean to stab himself, yeah. um, Gene Wilder. He's just making a point, yeah. uh, pun intended. And he just, hi, it's His work was doo-doo. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, doo-doo. And he slams it. And then, you know, the, the way he sort of... Tries to maintain his composure. The class is dismissed, and he's just, you know, he's sitting there with a scalpel in his thigh. That moment really stuck. I thought that was genius. But, I mean, like, every moment of that movie is genius. But that that's my favorite, sure, I think. Sure, stuck out for you on this viewing. Yeah. Um, you know what? <laughs> okay, I guess because I'm laughing. <laughs> yeah, I love uh, For me, funniest moment is when um, the, the monster has awakened, but the inspector comes over. Which, by the way, the more actual Frankenstein movies I watch the more references I get from Young Frankenstein. Yes, agreed. I'm so glad we watched Bride of Frankenstein last year. I think that's when we watched it. Yes. Anyway, I, yes. Uh, yeah, I'm in, Like, like the Chorus Leachman character yeah. definitely came from that. Yes. In Son of Frankenstein, there's the one-armed constable. <laughs> oh, man. Who does, for a bit, play darts with the Son of Frankenstein. <laughs> uh-huh. And I was... I thought the darts was just so they could have that gag at the Weir! end. With the cat? Yeah. Or... And well, with, with the flat tires, how oh, he drives away in all yes. four flat tires. Yes. <laughs> but during it, so the monster is like awake and unstable down in like the laboratory. <laughs> oh. And he's upstairs. I what you going to say. And he goes, uh, so you have no interest in pursuing your grandfather's work? And you and hear. And then, then from the. Oh. And he says, can I take that as a yes? And then he goes, mmm. <laughs> oh, giggle time. Yeah. Yes. That, that was the funniest for me. That's <laughs> pretty cute. There's another scene that I had seen first, but I didn't realize it was actually second. When Gene Wilder went on to do Haunted Honeymoon, he does a scene where he's got half his body in like a coal chute, and there's an unconscious man who's sort of half in the coal chute, and the cops come, and they think that the unconscious man's legs are his legs. Okay. Right? Yeah. So 
then the legs start moving, and he's like, oh, I'm so excited. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo, woo-hoo. <laughs> and then, like, a leg will just stick straight up, and he'll be like, ooh, got an itch. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize that was just a rehashing of the dead arm. Dead arm. He's like, can I give you a hand? Got one. Yeah, yes. Ooh, it's chilly. Yes. I didn't realize that had already been done, but because I saw it first, and I saw it youngest, and thought it was so funny, I used to redo that like with my sister. I'd be like, <laughs> you put your legs here, and I'll stand here, and your legs will be my legs. Yeah. On like the side of the sofa. That, for those reasons and more, Haunted Honeymoon remains kind of special to me. I love that. My name is Harold, and I live here all alone. What is your name? Mm. I didn't get that. Mm. Nope. The hermit scene with Gene Hackman. Yeah was so effective because he was playing it completely straight. Funny things were happening all around yeah. him. And he literally couldn't see it, but he <laughs> smashed the goblet and... Poured soup in his lap. Poured soup in his lap and lit his thumb on fire. The, when the, the monster tears out of there, I was like, but now he doesn't have a friend. And if I thought I was sad then, you know, wait for actual Bride of Frankenstein. I know. Actual Bride of Frankenstein, I lost it completely. Yeah. I cried at that scene. But having Gene Hackman as my only reference for several years... That scene played, one, funny, but the serious part of it still played serious for me. Wait! Where are you going? I was going to make espresso. I'm going to move forward to 1989's Transylvania Twist, which is a movie I found out about a couple years ago. When I was doing the Terminator show T2 at Universal 3D. Studios, yeah, T2 3D Battle Across Time, one of my T1000 co-stars, his name's Rusty Locke, nicest guy ever, and really fun person to hang around with and get strangled to death by. That's how you would exit the show, yes. is the T1000 would choke your character, you'd hit a uh, stunt mat, roll off, and then go out start the pre-show for the next audience. Exactly. So you spent a lot of time with your T-1000s, and Rusty was a really, really nice guy. We got to talking about our podcast, and he was like, you know, you really should do a a horror comedy episode at some point. I was like, yeah, yeah. In 2015. Right, of course we will. And he said, and my dad is in this really great one. And I was like, oh, cool. And that stuck with me. When we were doing this just a few days ago, I thought, oh, my God, I have to ask Rusty. I don't remember the name of this movie. So I Facebook messaged him in a really big hurry. I was like, hey, what's the name of that movie? Ah! And he tells me. I look it up, and I noticed... And his um, father's name is? John Locke. And unfortunately, he passed away in 2013, which made me very sad. And I, you know, I told Rusty how sorry I was, because he'd been telling me about him, and I'd heard stories about his dad. Apparently, he was quite the card and I felt like I knew him and so it was important to me to try to find this movie and I called probably five different video stores they were either not answering or didn't have it I couldn't find it streaming anywhere it was too late for me to order it online and I like reached Amazon out to, has it Amazon ha- yeah it's on Amazon it. you can buy it I just didn't have the time to get it and watch it for this episode and I was panicking and I texted you I texted Marshall and I was like Help, I don't know what to do. And I don't know, 30 seconds later, got a text back from you with a YouTube link. And I don't know how you found it, but... Bears know where to find the food. Yeah. And it was great. So we both got to watch it. This film fit neatly into something I was doing already. I decided to... I'm going to take it far away from this and then work it back to it. Great. I decided to watch John Landis's first film and Joe Dante's first film. John Landis's first film was called Schlock. And it was a horror comedy. He made it in the 70s. He made it really low budget. 
He got a very young Rick Baker to help him out. A beast from 20 million years ago stalks the streets of today. A love stranger than King Kong. A monster more powerful than Godzilla. It's about like a missing link gorilla man who goes around terrorizing the small town. And the jokes aren't what they would become in his future films, let's just say. It was no Three Amigos. Yeah. But one great detail of it is John Landis played the schlock monster himself, which meant he was directing in this full gorilla outfit and then would go perform in a scene as the schlock monster and then be like, okay, next setup. Or from under the mask, okay, next setup. Yeah. And on and on. And, you know, like, he's still a high-energy guy now in his his 60s. At the time, he must have just been exploding with energy. I had to find it on VHS. The jokes don't quite land, but I will say this. Good funny moment is the schlock monster goes into a movie theater and winds up, like, sitting next to a little boy. And then the little boy whispers something to him. And the schlock monster goes, ugh. And then, like, takes him by the hand and has to, like, take him out to the men's room. So the little boy can, use like, use the bathroom. And then, like, take him back in. And then people keep sitting in front of Schlock Monsters, like, move. They're watching The Blob, and in The Blob, they're in the theater watching another movie. So at one point, you're watching a movie with someone watching a movie of someone watching a movie. Oh, gosh. Watching, I think it was called Dementia, was the, the last stop in that chain. Also, in the movie theater was a cameo from Forrest J. Ackerman, the creator of Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine, who is also in Joe Dante's first movie. Made at around the same time, and the two would become contemporaries within the next few years. Joe Dante's first movie I own, uh, but haven't gotten around to watching it since ordering it on Amazon, called Hollywood Boulevard. Hollywood Boulevard brings you Haunted Castle, Future Shock, Axe Murders. And that one was a Roger Corman film. And Joe Dante and Alan Arkish, the other director, were editing trailers for Roger Corman. And a producer said, you know, I bet you I can make a movie for cheaper than you're making movies now. The only catch is we get to use footage from anything in your library, anything in the Roger Corman library. And Roger Corman was like, cheaper, huh? It's a deal. It's a real low budget picture, you know what I mean? They crafted a film around the footage, basically, that they had. And it was about like a low budget Corman-esque movie company called Miracle Pictures and a young ingenue coming to town and... First, she gets involved in a bank robbery by accident, and they use bank robbery footage, and they still had, like, the same car that they used in the bank robbery. And then they're, like, on the set, and they're like, okay, it's an old 1920s shoot-em-up. And action! So then they use, like, this footage from Crazy Mama, and in the footage, the, the Model T hits a fruit stand. And then in the actual Hollywood Boulevard footage, they just roll a bunch of fruit in, in yeah. front of the actors, and, yeah. and they go, and cut! Great! And they do the same thing, but much more elaborate with Death Race, because they actually had the Death Race cars. And they had Mary Warnov. Yeah. Yeah. Who was, she was in Death Race. And now she's playing like the uh, star of the Miracle Pictures films. And this may not sound like much of a horror movie, but when it does finally work its way around to having a plot, someone's killing off starlets. Jill? Jill! She's dead for real! How am I going to get my clothes on? So like the last third is really a a slasher parody all throughout it. They use tons of just ridiculously 
footage from all these different like exploitation films along the way. Right, this is not a film about the human condition. This is a film about tits and ass. One of my favorite details, there's a part where a girl gets killed and then there's a headline from the LA Times. says like, slasher kills Hollywood actress. And then uh, Dick Miller, who's in the film, gets some ketchup on it. It looks like blood, but it's ketchup. He's eating a sandwich. It's a joke. Joe Dante, years previous to making this movie, that was a real headline. There was actually a slasher who killed a Hollywood actress. He saved one copy of the LA Times because someday he'd make a movie and that could come in handy. And then he used it. They only had one take because they were dropping ketchup on it. Wow. Hey, that's showbiz. So Transylvania Twist is also from the same company that Corman was up to at the time, which I believe was New World. And even in that, like every time there was like the castle with the lightning, that was like the stock Corman castle with lightning. And there's a bit, a gag where the guy goes into a room and Boris Karloff, and Boris Karloff is, there. is there and like he's in a castle. Yeah. And he's like, whoa, what are, what are you doing here? And it's basically just the footage is from Boris Karloff from another movie. He didn't film scenes for this movie, obviously, but they're just, you know, doing a little back and forth. Yeah. See Boris Karloff. You're kidding me. You think I'm mad, don't you? From the producer of Little Shop of Horrors comes Transylvania Twist. It's twisted. If you're thinking about watching it, I would recommend it. It's, it's on YouTube. It's, it's just really, waiting for you. Yeah, it's really fun. And Rusty's dad was one of the um, the British guys on the picket line. And they were like, do you know, oh, okay. do you remember They were um, striking gravediggers. Yes. Is that what they, what they were doing? I think so. And then the guy shows up and stakes the vampire in blood. And they're all, they're hiding in the corner and blood shooting up in the guy's face. And he says, oh, thank God I got him before dinner. That, ah. that scene. Anyway, but Rusty's dad, really, really funny, super solid. But the story is about a guy who's trying to find this book of Olfar. With some Lovecraft references that this yeah. time last year... I wouldn't have gotten. I wouldn't have either. Well, everything is Lovecraft to me now. I'm like oh. a couple of them I would have, but his character's name was actually Dexter Ward. Yeah, and I'm like, aha! Uh huh. I see what you did there. It's actually really fun. There were several moments when I laughed right out loud. I I'm so glad I watched it, and it's one of those things I I don't even know. Probably never would have crossed my path if not for Rusty. So I'm so nice. happy to have watched it, and I encourage you all to go watch it. Next movie I watched, yeah, I'm not sure if I'm sorry or happy to say, was 2006's Poultry Geist, Night of the Chicken Dead. Oh, I've seen that. Then I watched, I, I started to watch the uh, the making of it, mm. and the production was so effing miserable. Yeah, that's what I've read. That it's actually bummed out the movie for me. Like, I don't think I can go back and really enjoy it because I'm like, all oh, those poor extras. Yeah, who were all volunteers, by the way. Um, yeah, it was made on the cheap. It was made by the same guy who made the like the Toxic Avenger. And, yeah, um, it's a trauma film. It's a trauma film. Lloyd Kaufman, by the way, is who, who we're talking about. When Poultrygeist came up, or trauma films in general, came up on a couple of the lists, I was like, oh, I probably should watch one of these, mm -hmm. right? Because... Their exploitation, not all of them delve into horror, but some of them are more towards that than others. So And, and hang on to. to practical effects. As, yeah. Which keeps them a cut above some of what's out there, which just when the going gets tough, they're like, I know a guy who can do digital blood. 
It's about a like a Kentucky Fried Chicken type restaurant that's built on top of an ancient Indian burial ground, and bad things happen, and people turn into chicken zombies. That's very simplified, but you know, trauma films are characterized by I'd say outrageousness. Oh, absolutely. Over, over even exploitation. Yeah, it's It'll something be, beyond exploitation. Yeah, I feel like because like you never go to see like potty exploitation films. Yeah, like. like the nudity in it, you can get that in other movies. Right. The violence in it and gore, you can get that in other movies. But just the sort of unrelenting, just like, this guy's really fat. Like, there's no fat exploitation movies. Right. But you'll get that in the mix. And there's no puke exploitation movies, but you'll get that too. Yeah. And anything that can have an extreme has, like, found its way into his films. Yes. And I think, for me, it's definitely not my cup of tea. However... Mm. I found myself not bored for one second during the movie. And it's not just because of the gross things that were happening. Because I actually think the cast was pretty good. They're not all gross, by the way. There's also concepts like greed. Right. You know, there'll be like a greedy character. Well, but he's the, other the most greedy character they, they ever. Mostly, most of these films have some kind of political satire. Typically. Yeah. And this one is no exception to that. So it's not, I don't want to paint it as being just completely dumb. I'm actually really thankful it exists because I, it felt, it's weird. This movie came out in 2006 and it felt kind of timeless to me. Sure. And I can't believe I'm going to say this about a movie that features a giantly fat guy eating while he's having diarrhea on the toilet. But mm. it's kind of charming. The fact that that kind of humor is kind of like, that's not, no one's doing that. But they're still doing that. And it's not, I don't like it. It's not my favorite thing. But I. You'd but rather you live in a world with it than without it? I would rather live in a world where people are pushing limits. And I, I'm all about no censorship. So I kind of feel like this guy found his niche and he's sticking to it. And he's finding actors who, I mean, every single person in that movie is and has to be completely committed to every bit of the place they're going with it. You fool! This restaurant is built on ancient Tomahawk tribe, sacred Indian burial ground! Get out while you still can! Get out! Save yourselves! Save yourselves! Um, I'll have the Sloppy Jose value meal. I'm glad it exists. I think it falls under kind of different categories than horror comedy, but... It's about a zombie chicken apocalypse, kind of. And there are definitely horror elements. There are people dying left and right in this movie in very ridiculous ways, like getting pushed by a chicken into a meat tenderizer and becoming a talking burger. That happens to somebody. All right. Poultry guys. Night Poultry guys, everybody. everybody. <laughs> Now, what I haven't seen is what we do in the shadows. I saw that. You did. Tell me about it. And not too much, Well, though. I went to the theater to actually see It Follows, but it was all sold out. Oh. So I was like, well, what's playing in five minutes? It's what we do in the shadows. So I had five minutes to convince Sumo Dan this was a, a good way to spend his evening. And, he, and was he disappointed? Nope, he was not. I've heard it's great. It's Jermaine Clement from Flight of the Concords and two other guys... Are vampires all living together. Then there's like another one in the basement who's like really old. He's like a Nosferatu kind of vampire mm -hmm. who has no lines, but um, his very presence is pretty funny sometimes. So a lot of stuff on the floor down here, Peter, and like these things. I don't. Oh, it's a spinal column. Yuck. And I was thinking maybe I should just bring a broom down here for you if you wanted to sweep up some of the skeletons. 
I don't know. You know it. Baby. It's this whole like school of New Zealand kind of horror comedy that's been, and, and not even just New Zealand, but in. just Wellington. It's like the four funniest guys that Wellington has to <laughs> offer got together and made a vampire comedy. I really need to see it. And you don't need my recommendation because it's, I think it's caught on pretty well. Yeah. And when you see it, you'll enjoy it. Great. You're a cool guy, but you're not pulling your weight in the flat. Oh, I'm glad to hear that I'm cool. No, that's not the point, though. Yeah, yeah no, it's no, not a flat meeting about how cool you are. What else did you watch? Well, tried to see some things that I'd never seen before. I watched Vamps, which was uh, 2012, Amy Heckerling's 20-something... Oh. I've heard of girl that. vampire comedy doesn't really come together it's too bad you know what if you catch on netflix by all means watch it because it's not terrible yeah and if you like Kristen ritter and you like alicia silverstone do it uh-huh. when were you awakened 1841 ah, baby besides 200 is the new 80 we just re-released our uh ladies of the night episode and i applauded the movie vamp for although an Asian guy was bitten by vampires, they don't say, you know what the problem is? Half an hour later, you're hungry again. Yeah. Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Galaxy Quest Weaver. I know that may not be her most popular film, but for me, that's the movie where she's funniest. Mm-hmm. She has that line. Oh. After eating like everyone in a Chinese restaurant. Later, I watched Vampires Suck, and they also have the same <laughs> line in there. So, sorry guys. But you know what? There's a lot of um, good vampire comedies because vampires are the best for sex metaphor of the horror. Naturally. And if vampires lead to sex, sex leads to comedy. Yes. Very well. So there's more vampire comedies out there than there are Frankenstein comedies. At this point, actually, they might be tied with zombie comedies, but that's just the fad of the time. Eventually, vampire comedies will take over again. Because they just lend themselves well to relationships and humor and sex and sex comedy. Yep. I don't want to be a vampire. I'm a day person. For the first time ever, I all the way through watched Death Becomes Her. For the first time ever? Yeah. I'd seen the ending and I'd seen parts of it before, but I'd never seen it all the way through. Isn't it? The greatest movie ever. It's really good. It is. I've seen it a million times. I'm convinced, having no proof, that it was just a Tales from the Crypt episode (laughs) at some point in development. And then somebody said, you know what? We can get a whole movie out of this. And then they did. That makes perfect sense. Sure. It was Zemeckis. It was the era. All its promotional materials, by the way, had the Tales from the Crypt theme Mm -hmm. with it. So This is one of the most vivid theater experiences I've ever had is watching this movie the really in the theater which was life. 1992 so I, how old were you i was eight eight years old watching death becomes her and i will never forget seeing it in the theaters i specifically remember the end where where they fall down the stairs and they're all in pieces yeah i've probably seen that movie at least 50 times i'm not kidding you i've seen it a lot i believe it <sighs> now a warning now a warning yeah, very funny. Everybody in it is a quality actor. Yeah, Bruce and they're Willis. all operating on all cylinders, too. And they're playing a variety of ages because, like, first they have to start young, and then it's, like, 14 years later, but then they get youth potions. And for those of you who don't know, at its peak are these two divas fighting each other. Both, at this point, are just 
the undead. One's got a giant hole in her. The other one, her neck keeps twisting around. <laughs> and they fight and they work out their issues because they have to because they can't hurt each other. They can't kill each other. They can blow holes in each other. But at the end of the day, they're forced to reconcile. And if they're both going to live forever, they need to have somebody else around. To work. Yeah. Yeah. But then they decide that because Bruce Willis is a plastic surgeon turned mortician, they need him around to keep them looking youthful. Yeah. And that's like the third act is them trying to draft him. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Death Becomes Her. It took a while to find its audience. It took over 20 years to find me, but uh, I'm glad it did. I'm glad it did, too. I think it's one of those just total gems that's sexy and dark and so funny. It kind of falls under the category of black comedy. As many horror comedies but do. But I would also call it a horror comedy, yeah. Those of you who have listened to every single episode we've ever done know my love for Transylvania 6500. But uh, let me just say it again. I love Transylvania 6500. They used to play it on Halloween night. I'd come home from trick-or-treating. The, it's uh, 5,000, isn't it? Uh, yes. That's what just hit me. I was like, wait. <laughs> it's yeah, 5,000. 5, I'm so embarrassed I have to go walk into the ocean. But before I do, yeah, it's uh, Jeff Goldblum, who you love. That's an understatement, but continue. And with Ed Bagley Jr., and they work really well off of each other. This is where uh, Jeff Goldblum met Gina Davis. And I believe it was from this film that they got cast in The Fly, because Mel Brooks produced The Fly. And he's friends and collaborators with the guy who wrote and directed Transylvania 65000. And it's about a couple of tabloid reporters so you know it's 80s. You go to Transylvania because someone has a video of Frankenstein, but it turns out all these monsters are really, for one reason or another, undergoing massive plastic or reconstructive surgery, which all gets explained at the end. Mm-hmm. Like, it's a mummy. No, those are her bandages. And the uh, the wolfman has that disease where you grow hair, but he's giving uh, electrolysis, so he has this like one circle with no hair on him. Mm-hmm. And it's just great fun. And it's Transylvania 6, 5,000. The guy who wrote and directed it went on to be one of the writers on Dracula Dead and Loving It. Oh, fun. Which I also watched for the first time. I saw it years ago. I was a kid, but I remember thinking it was really fun. It's Leslie Nielsen, right? Oh, to the door. Mina, you are in the closet. It's not terrible but everybody in it has done something better and uh it seems like you're a little lukewarm about this movie i'm pretty lukewarm just because put it next to young frankenstein you know it's like come on mel brooks yeah i I know you got it in you and like like there's this whole sequence that at the end of which it just leading to the punchline oh i was having a daymare oh christ that is a throwaway that the monsters threw away you know, 30 years earlier. Oh, okay. Well. But, you know, funny moments. Yeah, Draco turns into ashes and then Renfield just, like, makes a smiley face on it. And he's like, there you are. You're looking better already. <laughs> so oh, it was boy. not without its laughs. Sure. Yeah, that that's very funny to me.
All right, folks. We only scratch the surface of comedy horror that we enjoy and of the comedy horror that's out there. And if you've gotten this far with us, you know, you've got some titles in mind that we didn't get to. And you're like, how could they skip that? Yeah. And I know I feel that way sometimes. When yeah. I the things. I'm like, how could they not talk about this? How but we only just... have so much time. We only have so much time. And I tried to watch some stuff that I hadn't seen before. And, you know, there's only so much time in a month. And so it was kind of, it's, yeah. So, yeah. Sorry, people. You know what? We're doing our best. <laughs> However, um, we both broke open the Wikipedia page for horror comedies. It's broken it down by decade. <laughs> So let's see if we can't do a little lightning round, and maybe in the next ones that we mention, they'll be one of your faves. In 1920, uh, Haunted Spooks. I actually have seen that. That's Harold Lloyd. It's pretty funny. Bit of trivia. It was not on the set, but during the time that he was making this movie, that he had his accident that blew off like two of his fingers. So part of the film, if you've got a real eagle eye, you can see... uh, which scenes were filmed before and after his uh, his accident. Oh, God. Yeah. That's not funny at all. 1930s. Let's see what we got here. I've seen none of these. 1940s. Um, the only one I've seen is Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. That's right. And if you're saying, like, these people have no appreciation for the classics, head back to our Monster Mash episode. Yeah. Where we discuss Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein. In the spookiest laugh fest on record. They did do other films with um, with horror themes. They meet the Invisible Man. That one's all right. They meet the killer, Boris Karloff. Very long title. That one, I mean, fine. They're all fine. But I'd have to say of the non-Meet Frankenstein movies, when they meet Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, that one, uh, one, has Boris Karloff in it. And two, is pretty funny. It's a pretty funny movie. It's set in like Victorian England and they go into like a chamber of horrors and... You know that's going to be fun. Mm-hmm. It's like, knowing these guys, there's going to be some yucks. And they deliver. Have you seen a monster around here? Oh, I see. You can't talk with that heavy mask on. 50s when Abbott Costello met the mummy. Mm-hmm. That's when Bucket of Blood came out. That was a... Um, it's a Roger Corman. That's a Roger Corman, also with Dick Miller. A contemporary of the Little Shop of Horrors. But one of them had a musical made about it, and the other one didn't. The Bucket of Blood, made very quickly. In 1960s... Comedy of Terrors. I love to watch Comedy of Terrors. It's the greatest Roger Corman movie that Roger Corman himself never directed. Hmm. But Richard Matheson wrote it. Oh, Vincent Price is in it. Vincent Price, Peter Lorre, Basil Rathbone, Boris Karloff. With Rhubarb the Cat. There's a funeral home that whenever things start getting a little slow, they go out and make a little business of their own. Also, I'm so sorry, I just got really excited because Rhubarb the Cat, yeah. is he's known as Rhubarb the Cat in this movie, but his real name was Orangey, and look what other cat he was. It, he was Cat from Breakfast at Tiffany's. Yes, he was Cat from Breakfast at Tiffany's. I love that. Holy smokes. What a good cat actor. Uh, Monster Go Home. Ghost of Mr. Chicken. boy, Luther! Okay, going on to the 1970s. Okay, Werewolf of Washington is just bad, and you can... See it like on a like Elvira making fun of it. Oh, hey, there was a mention of Elvira. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, who was it that wanted to know? Uh, our friend and fan Melissa. I think you're right, Marshall. Like I, I mean, first of all, love, love, love Elvira. But we'll probably do a horror host episode and do a whole bunch of Elvira there. But suffice to say, she's a big part of horror comedy. That was the year of Rocky Horror Picture Show, and that's its own thing. Mm-hmm. Attack of the Killer Tomatoes falls right in line with like what schlock was doing that sort of 70s satire 
uh, Piranha. Love at first bite. That was a good uh, sort of 70s sexy disco vampire comedy. That was sex, Greenfield. This is love. Okay, now you said the 1980s list was pretty long, it's and you yeah. weren't kidding. Well, the list is long, but distinguished. Yeah, well, so is my Johnson. So, of course, we've all seen American Werewolf in London. You showed me that. So good. I've been meaning to revisit it. And um, that one, I just, like, take more seriously. Same with Evil Dead. Same well, with Funhouse. Well, and Evil Dead wasn't intended. It's become something people laugh at, but it wasn't supposed to be funny. If you listen to our Evil Dead episode, you'll see all our thoughts on yeah. that. Actually, a lot of these on here are just like horror movies that are also funny. Right. But I wouldn't really call them comedies. Agreed. What the hell is Microwave Massacre? I'm sure that one's probably pretty I feel funny. I like I need to see that. Gremlins, which is a great one. And Ghostbusters. And Ghostbusters, of course. Fright Night, of course. See, That's a big one for you. It's just Fright Night I actually take seriously. Fair enough. But, I take Lost Boys seriously. That's not a horror comedy to me. But right under that is Once Bitten. That is early Jim Carrey. Jim, I was about to say, it's a Jim Carrey movie. Vampire sex comedy. Oh, boy. Oh. Return of the Living Dead. Now, that's something we didn't really discuss much of, which is as sequels go on, and this was definitely true in Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th and Leprechaun and Texas Chainsaw Massacre and Gremlins, which is the sequels become... Almost parodies of the originals. Mm -hmm. It's a perfectly legitimate direction to take. And you wind up with almost just comedies. By the time you get to part 10, part 5, in the case of Texas Chainsaw, part 2. Night of the Creeps. I showed that to you. Yes, you did. House 2, the second story. You notice House 1 wasn't on the list. That's because uh, uh, House 2 got a little uh, crazier. That's what I've heard. Bad Taste, which I haven't seen, but that's a Peter Jackson movie, right? Yes, it is. And uh, Killer Clowns from Outer it, Space. I actually watched this, but you know what? We got a uh, Circus Carnival episode coming yeah, up in a couple be a months. Good one to talk about. Killer Clowns from Outer Space is a huge one from my childhood. The Burbs, a film whose sound bites you can hear in our opening uh, opening theme. Beetlejuice. Naturally. Night of the Demons. That one scared me as a kid, but I could also recognize it was supposed to be funny. Yeah. Moving on to the 1990s. Arachnophobia. Still can't believe that was supposed to be funny. A thrillomedy. There's where uh, Gremlins 2 is. And Frankenhooker, which uh, I talk about a bit in our Let's Make a Girl episode. You do. Frankenhooker is tons of fun. Tales from the Dark Side, the movie scared the crap out of me as a kid. Now, Tremors. So did Tremors, by the way. Tremors, I knew it was a comedy, but it still scared me. Yeah, Tremors is one of those ones like Fright Night, like American Werewolf in London, that to me, that's a horror movie with comedy. It's not. I have to agree with comedy you. with horror. Yeah. Okay. Army of Darkness, obvi. Vampire in Brooklyn. Serial Mom. Uh, the Frighteners. Oh my gosh. I rewatched that this past October, and I had only seen it once, forever ago, I guess when it came out, and it's so good. I liked it. It holds up. I thought it was really great. And I, I will be watching that again every year, probably. Here's a movie that's been on my Amazon wish list, and no one's bought it for me for several years. Uh-huh. <laughs> Idle Hands. Oh, yeah. That's, that's a good That's one. a really good blend of, of, of horror and comedy. That hit me at the right time. I was in high school, and I loved that movie. In the 2000s, we got Psycho Beach Party. That's fun. Just watched it the once back in the 2000s, but it's uh, stayed with me. Bubba Hotep. Yep. Bubba Hotep was one of those formative movies. It came out in 2002, and for me, it was one of those movies that I rented it on DVD, and I it changed the way I thought about movies. It changed what I understood movies could be. 
Really? Because, well, you know, just the conceit, just the premise of the film. I was like... You can do that? Exactly. Okay. You can do that? Okay. The film I was watching when you uh, came in, which is probably one of the greatest blends of horror and comedy. Yes. Shaun of the Dead. Yes. Any zombies out there? Don't say that. What? That. What? That. The Z word. Don't say it. Why not? Because it's ridiculous. All right. Are there any out there, though? Can't see any. Maybe it's not as bad as all that. Oh, no, there they are. It's something I kept coming across in, like, special features of horror comedies, which is they'd be like, this scene was entirely improvised. This was improvised. This was all Marty Feldman's idea. This was all Jeff Goldblum's doing. Shaun of the Dead is so tightly scripted with its, like, its recall jokes. There was probably very little room for improvisation. It was just this tight, tight, romantic comedy zombie Brit film. So incredible. That only gets better upon repeated viewings because you can see the setups coming so far ahead. And for things that don't even pay off with dialogue, but things that just sort of pay off with like, next time I see him, he's dead. Yep. And then he's yep, dead. Dead. One that I actually wrote down before I came in here that I wanted to mention that we may have mentioned on the podcast before, but is one of my favorites of recent-ish years was Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon. I know you like it. I have not seen it. You haven't seen it yet. I'll have to show it to you. It strikes that beautiful balance of like, it's very self-aware and riffing on horror. And so if you're a big horror fan, you totally get a lot of deep cut kind of jokes. But it's also, there are parts of it that are legit scary, but it's really, it's really great. Black Sheep, one of the movies I showed you when we first started hanging out. Yeah, I remember. Fido is... I've seen that cover, the cover of that so many times. Really good. However, I always, um, but the cover I'm so afraid of zombies that zombie comedies just, I'm like, that's scary. That's legitimately scary. But, um, no, it's a great blend of, of horror and comedy. Okay. Slither. Ugh. I haven't seen it. I know I need you know to. What? I didn't or even I started see it, it as, a, as a teenager. But I never. went to a test screening of it and after it was over, there were like three teenage boys in the front and like one of the guys running the test screening was like, uh, did you guys see this before? And they're like, yeah, and we're coming back tomorrow. Like they were running several test screenings. They and they're like, it a lot. And they are like, we want to speak with you. And that was like their perfect audience. Oh, wow. The teenage boys. That's so interesting. Dead Snow. Teeth. People talk about a lot. And Zombieland. There's a box of Twinkies in that grocery store. Not just any box of Twinkies. The last box of Twinkies that anyone will enjoy in the whole universe. All the zombie stuff plays totally scary to me. That scene yeah. in the grocery store, the scene with the clown zombie, that's absolutely petrifying. And I'm not even scared of zombies, but really scary. Cabin in the Woods, definitely. Jack Brooks' Monster Slayer that I actually saw at the cemetery, and Robert England is in that, and I got him to sign a uh, DVD. Going on to the 2010s, Tucker and Dale vs. Evil. That's a fun one. That is fun. Piranha 3 Double D. Hmm. <laughs> Bad Milo, definitely. Oh, gosh. And I don't know if it made the list. There, there it is. Hell Baby. Hell Baby is made by people who are in the state, and that's always a stamp of quality for me. John dies at the end. I feel like that's more like dark action black comedy, but I love mentioning it because my friend Chase is in it, and I do think it's really good. Congratulations, Chase. He's the best. And the closer we go in time, the less things have of having had the opportunity to stand up to time. Right. 
You know, so some of these could become some real cult classics. We just have to let them uh, simmer for a bit. Right. Cat? Yeah, Marshall? Why didn't the mummy answer the phone? I don't know. He was all tied up. (laughs) If you're scoring at home, that was the first good one tonight. Witches keep their hair in place while they're flying. How? Scare spray. Do zombies eat popcorn with their fingers? No, silly. They eat the fingers separately. All right, so there you are. I'm sure we left something out that someone's fuming about, but there's no way to touch all of it. And if you have a complaint, tweet us and complain. Yes, I love that. And then follow us on iTunes. So... Can't. I haven't asked you for a while. Got anything to plug? Right at this very moment, I don't think that I do. We've been written about it in, a, in an online article, but I haven't read it because it just came out. It just came out today. Yeah, if you didn't see, I posted it as you're listening to this. Who knows how long ago I posted it. But well, it's an on, on our Boys and Ghouls Facebook page. Uh-huh. A website called I See the Frog that I actually really recommend. They post things that make them happy. And apparently, Boys and Ghouls, along with Carry On, my other podcast, are plug. something, yeah, there's a plug, are something that makes them happy. And I, I like to think, I mean, both of the podcasts I participate in, this one and that one, are just joyful. They're just full of fun. I think they know that if they made it all the way to the end of this episode. Yeah. So, folks, follow us on the Facebook and Twitter and Tumblr and Pinterest. And I started a couple Instagram. blogs out there. Instagram. Really, just so if you Google Boys and Ghouls, you'll find us. And not some other thing. Yeah. And, uh, well, Kat, until next time. Beware the moon. Beware. Beware.